For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the deaths of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war. I me, I see the ruin of my house. The tiger now hath seized the gentle hind. Insulting tyranny begins to jut upon the innocent and aweless throne. What is a man? Sure he made us with such large discourse, looking before and after, gave us not that capability and godlike reason to fust in us unused. O oh, my dear father, restoration hang thy medicine on my lips, and let this kiss repair those violent harms that my two sisters have in thy reverence made. I am a king that find thee, and I know, tis not the balm, the scepter and the ball, the sword, the mace, the crown imperial, the throne he sits on, nor the pomp that beats on the high shore of the world. This is the mighty history of the British Empire, a people living on a tiny island in the North Atlantic Ocean, built an empire that circled the earth and brought freedom and education to languishing millions. This empire was blessed by Almighty God and one of his best educated teachers, William Shakespeare. Shakespeare has educated some of the greatest leaders of all time, such as Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill. We shall never surrender. Our troubled world needs a fresh crew of nation-building leaders. Are you ready to step up to the challenge? Welcome to the exciting classroom of Shakespeare's royal education with host Dennis Leap. Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Shakespeare's Royal Education. Now, I don't have any comments today, so remember... If you have a comment about today's podcast, don't hesitate to join in on the conversation. I'd really like to hear from you. Now, on our last program, we discussed how Edmund set a trap for his brother Edgar in order to steal his inheritance from their father, Gloucester. He turns Gloucester against Edgar and then warns Edgar that his father has set out to kill him. And so it's all about lies because uh, the father doesn't really intend to kill him. The father just wants to talk to him. Now, for today's program, I want to move on to Act 1, Scene 4. And what I want to do is I want to discuss the role of the fool. Now, to me, this is uh, the, the fool is probably one of the most unique characters in the play. And now to do this, I'm going to skip over the return of Kent. That is another big part of the play but I want to do a special program on Kent. Now, uh, I just want to tell you, don't worry. We'll discuss the unique return of Kent. And then remember, Lear banished him never to return to England. And it would be his death if he came back to England. But uh, Kent does come back. And actually, Lear doesn't even know it's Kent. <laughs> and he accepts him as his servant. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that today. But I wanted to spend... Just a special program on Kent. Now, oh, by the way, my English friends are back to help me read the play with their appealing English flair. And so today's full lines will be read by my friend Richard. Now, the reason why I'm really holding back on the Kent program, too, is we're also preparing the Kent lines for the section on Kent for our next podcast. So that does take a little bit of time and commitment. 
Now, back to the fool. Let me just give you my opinion on the fool. It is my opinion that the fool is the most interesting character in the play. But what is what is even more interesting is he mysteriously drops out of the play in Act 3, Scene 6. So essentially what we're going to cover today, and hopefully I'm going to be able to get through it all today, but essentially what we cover with him is the most famous lines related to the fool. There's a few more in Act 3, but all of a sudden he just he just disappears. And a lot of scholars over the years would really have liked to talk to Shakespeare to say, why did you do this? There's there's a lot of good to the fool. He's very loyal to King Lear. Also, if you if you look at the relationship, sometimes Lear will call him the the uh, a knave or a fool, but but essentially he's like his son. He's a father that has all the daughters, but he doesn't have a son, and so he treats the fool fool like a son. Also, the son I think, um, or or the fool, maybe I should say he's definitely a son, but the fool. I think the reason why Shakespeare has him so much in the very beginning of the play is is I really think that what Shakespeare wants us to understand is that, that Lear now wants to protect the king because Cordelia is gone. And I think you'll see today as we cover a few lines that you'll see that uh, he's kind of mysterious. He kind of shows up willy-nilly in the play. And I think it's, it's you're, you're going to find out it's because he really misses Cordelia as well. But he wants to to protect his adopted father, I should say it that way. Now, uh, one thing about the, the fool is he really gets away with a lot. <laughs> his, he chides Lear, and uh, he chides there for his actions, and uh, he gets away with it. You don't see uh, Lear you know, going after him to whip him or anything. Uh, he threatens to do that, but he doesn't really do it. But also, I think it's really interesting, we have to see the the fool is really a wise character. I mean, not like a wisecracker. He actually has a lot of wisdom. And, uh, of course, I think Shakespeare, uh, he develops his fools like that. Even in the play Hamlet, uh, there's a fool. We don't really see him ever in any of the scenes. But uh, it seems like they have a lot of wisdom to give to their kings. So today, what we, we're going to be with using the pelican, remember, now, and you can get the pelican at uh, Amazon. You can get it at abebooks.com. But remember the pelican series. It's really important. So we're going to go to page 24, and we're going to start with line 40. And again, we're, we're in the middle of the Kent section, like I said, that I would like to cover uh, with you a little bit later. Here we are. We're going to be on page 24. I want to go to line 40, and this is Lear. And remember now, Lear's had a rough go at it. Uh, Also, remember, they're now at Albany's castle. He's got his hundred knights with him. He's ready to move in for a month, and he gets there, and there's no dinner ready. And he says, well, I'm not waiting for any dinner. And so he's pretty upset. And so what he says here in line 40, he says, follow me. You shall serve me. Now, Now, what he's doing, he's, he's talking to Kent. And remember now, Kent has disguised himself. He's changed the way he speaks. Uh, he's even given himself a new name. He's Caius now, and uh, he wants to serve him. Uh, he finally convinces Lear to do that. Now, I'm going to talk more about that again next time. But th- then Lear says to Kent, follow me. You shall serve me. If I like thee no worse after dinner, I will not part 
from the yet. And so, in other words, Lear is telling Kent, well, you're kind of on probation. Yeah, you can serve me. Um, and he said, but if I still like you after dinner, then, then maybe we can go a little further. So he's kind of yes, he's kind of no. But then what he does there is he says, dinner, ho, dinner, where's my knave? My fool, go you and call my fool hither. So there's an attendant, an extra attendant. It was probably a knight. They go out and look for the fool. But he's not easily found. But guess who shows up? <laughs> the guy that shows up is Oswald. And if you remember back to the last program, what did Goneril do? She told Oswald, disrespect my father every chance you get. <laughs> do not make his life happy because she does not want him staying at her house for a month. And so Oswald enters, and of course, it totally irritates Lear immediately. <laughs> He says, you, you, Sirrah, where's my daughter? And Oswald says, so please you? <laughs> you mean I'm supposed to answer this? You mean I'm supposed to answer you? And Lear says, what says the fuddle there? Call the clop pole back. And so essentially what he does, Oswald says, so please you, and he just goes on. He just moves on. And then, then what you have is you have one of the knights, one of the hundred knights, is uh, with him, and uh, he says, call the clots pole back, and essentially what he calls him is a blockhead. <laughs> Would you get the blockhead back here? And the, the knight is, obviously, he has a lot of respect still for Lear. Oswald has no respect for Lear. Uh, Goneril has no respect for Lear. Kent has a lot of respect for Lear. And so, so anyway, Lear says again, where is my fool? Oh, I think the world's asleep. And then the knight says, how now, where's that mongrel? What he's saying to the knight is, what happened to Oswald? I want to know where my daughter is. The knight says to him, he says, my lord, your daughter is not well. So here the knight has the information he wants. And the knight is very respectful. He says, why came not the slave back to me when I called him? He says, sir, he answered me in the roundest manner he would not. And so, so the knight is saying to him, look, he disrespected me too. He wouldn't answer me. Where's my daughter? Or where's the daughter? He would not. And then he says, my lord, I know what the matter is, but to my judgment, your highness is not entertained with that ceremonious affection as you were wont. There's a great abatement of kindness appears as well in the general dependence as in the duke himself also and your daughter. And so here the knight has been there with him, and he says right away to, to Lear, look, Lear, they don't have any respect for you. There's no affection for you. And he said, uh, and Oswald is in on it. You know, he's, he's with them. And see, Lear can't see it. And, and that's, that's one of Lear's problems. He's so wound up in himself, and uh, even, even wanting to be, not be a king, it, it was really kind of a selfish act. Usually kings die in office. They don't just quit and go off fishing. And that's essentially what, what Lear did. He says, uh, Lear responds, how sayest thou so? Lear is saying, well, why are you saying that? And the knight says, I beseech you, pardon me, my lord, if I be mistaken. For my duty cannot be silent when I think your highness wronged. Here's a knight observing everything, and they're wronging you. 
Lanier gets in there and he says, But thou rememberest me of my own conception. I have perceived a most faint neglect of late, which I have rather blamed as my own jealous curiosity than as a very pretense and purpose of unkindness. I will look further into it. But where's my fool? I have not seen him these two days. Now here's what the knight says to him. And uh, here's perception. He says, Since my lady's going into France, sir, the fool has much pined away. He's saying, look, you haven't seen the fool because he's upset that Cordelia's gone. Now remember, it was Lear that banished her, took all of her her estate, took that away from her, you know, her dowry took that away from her. It has the fool really upset. The fool's really upset about it. And even Lear doesn't seem like he's so much up, upset with the whole thing. He says, oh, you, sir, you, come hither. So what happens then is Oswald walks back in, and he says, who am I, sir? And Oswald says, my lady's father. And then Lear just explodes. He says, my lady's father, my lord's knave, you whoresome dog, you slave, you cur. So what Lear wanted was, you are the king. That's what he wanted him to say. And remember, at the very beginning of the play, he told all three daughters, I still want to be called king. And of course, none of them want that. And then, then Lear says, my lady's father, you know, hey, call me a king. And then he calls him a dog, calls him a slave, calls him a, a, a cur. And then at the top of page 26, Oswald says, I'm none of these, my lord. I beseech your pardon. So what Lear does, he, he boy, he's really mad. Essentially, <laughs> Lear strikes him. He says, do you bandy looks with me, you rascal? And then Oswald says, I'll not be struck in my lord. And remember now, if you remember back to the previous program, Goneril wanted Oswald to do that. He wanted to stir him up so he doesn't want to be there. And Oswald, Oswald uh, he's a pretty good character to do that. And notice then, uh, again, we just need to mention this about Kent. He says, uh, not tripped neither, you base football player. And that's when Kent stands up and he trips him, makes him fall. So you can see that Kent is still there to help him. And notice what Lear says. He says, I thank thee, fellow. Thou servest me, and I love thee. And then Kent says, Come, sir, arise away. I'll teach you differences. Away, away, if you will measure your lubber's length. Again, tarry, but away. Go to have you wisdom. So And so essentially, Kent is talking to Oswald, who is a little bit fat. And he says, Hey, I'm going to deal with you. And uh, he uh, pushes him out of the scene totally and then Lear says, now, my friendly knave, I thank you. There's earnest of your service. And he gives money to him. So he's ready to pay. He's ready to pay Kent. So I guess dinner's not even over yet, and he's, he likes him. So that's good. But now, here's the big entrance. I want all of you to get this today. All of a sudden, the fool shows up from nowhere. Where's he come from? But all of a sudden, uh, he shows there. So the fool... Sees Lear give money to, uh, well, we should call him Caius at this point, but it's really Kent. And the fool begins to talk, and here's what he says. Let me hire him too. Here's my coxcomb. <laughs> so, so he says, well, I'll hire him too, and here's a hat for you. Uh, and then Lear says, how now, my pretty knave, how dost thou? So you can see that that Lear does have a kind of a special father-like feeling for the fool. And uh, 
it really is kind of interesting there. He says, how now? Calls him my pretty knave. How dost thou? And then even Kent says, why fool? <laughs> Where'd you come from? And then notice what the fool starts. And, and again, all of you listeners out there, understand this is some of the best writing in this play, these lines by the fool. So here's what the fool says. Why, for taking one's part, that's out of favour. Nay, and thou canst not smile as the wind sits. Thou catch cold shortly. There, take my coxcomb. Why, this fellow has banished two on daughters, and did the third a blessing against his will. If thou follow him, thou must needs wear my coxcomb. How now, nuncle? Would I had two coxcombs and two daughters. And so notice there that the fool actually calls Lear nuncle or uncle. And so he sees there's a family relationship there. And he's pretty bold what he's telling him. And the Lear says, why, my boy? And the fool says, if I gave them all my living, I'd keep my coxcombs myself. There's mine. Beg another of thy daughters. <laughs> so the fool obviously has been off thinking about all the tragedy that Lear has brought on himself. Lear says, take heed, Sarah, the whip. He does not like that the fool says, beg another of your daughters. And he says, look, I'm, I'm going to whip you. And the fool says, Truth's a dog must to kennel. He must be whipped out when Lady the Brack may stand by the fire and stink. Now, that's just his funny, a funny answer to it. He said, you know, dogs, they have to go to the kennel. Sometimes they have to be whipped. And then he says, when the Lady Brock may stand by the fire and stink. <laughs> and Lear says, a pestilent gall to me. Sirrah, I'll teach thee a speech. Lear says, do. Fool says, mark it, nuncle. And so here he's giving uh, Lear a lesson on how to behave now that he's given up being king. He says there, and it's, it's really quite a little poem here. Have more than thou showest. Speak less than thou knowest. Lend less than thou owest. Ride more than thou goest. Learn more than thou trowest. And that has to do a little bit with gambling. So he said, you know, be careful how much you gamble. Set less than thou throwest. Leave thy drink and thy whore. And keep in a door. And thou shalt have more than two tens to a score. So if you just look at that whole line, he's just trying to tell them how to live right. He's trying to tell them, you know, be careful how you gamble. Uh, you know, he said, uh, be careful of your drinking. Watch out for whores. He's just telling him to be careful now. And then Kent says to the fool, this is nothing, fool. Fool says then, Then tis like the breath of an unfeed lawyer. You gave me nothing for it. Can you make use of nothing, nuncle? And then Lear says, why no, boy, nothing can be made of nothing. Now, that's a, that's a very famous line that we've incorporated into our English figures of speech. Nothing's made out of nothing. And that comes out of Shakespeare. Now, the fool looks to Kent and he says, Pray thee tell him, so much the rent of this land comes to. He will not believe a fool. Now, that's pretty gutsy of the fool saying, hey, <laughs> you rented out your land. It's, it's gone. You really have nothing for yourself. And Lear says, you know, he looks at the fool and says, a bitter fool. Well, 
Defoe's not bitter. It's He's the one that's bitter. And then Defoe says, Dost thou know the difference, my boy, between a bitterful and a sweetful? <laughs> so, so he really comes back at Lear. It's, it's really quite funny. And Lear says, no, lad, teach me. So here, Lear asks for another teaching lesson, and he's going to get one, whether he likes it or not. That lord that counseled thee to give away thy land, come place him here by me. Do thou for him stand? The sweet and bitter fool, him presently appear. The one in motley here, the other found out. There! And then Lear finally gets it. And he says to, to the fool, Do you call me a fool boy? And of course the fool answers, All thy other titles thou hast given away that thou wast born with. <laughs> so he says, Yeah, you're a fool. You gave everything else away. <laughs> you gave the you gave your title of king. Actually, he gave his title as father away too. So yeah, you are a fool. Um, notice Kent comes in there. Says this is not altogether fool, my lord. And then the fool comes back and he says, No, faith, lords and great men will not let me. If I had a monopoly out, they would have part on it. And ladies too, they will not let me have all fool to myself. They'll be snatching. Give me an egg, Nuncle, and I'll give thee two crowns. The fool is saying there to him, look, uh, you gave your crowns away. I'll give you two more. I'll, I'll make two for you. Lear says, why two crowns shall they be? He says, why, after I have to cut the egg in the middle and eat up the meat, the two crowns of the egg, when thou clovest thy crown in the middle and gavest away both parts, thou borest thy ass on thy back all the dirt. Thou hast little wit in thy bald crown, when thou gavest thou golden one away. If I speak like myself in this, let him be whipped, that first finds it so. Now he starts singing. This is interesting. Fools had ne'er less wit in a year, for wise men are grown foppish. They know not how their wits to wear. Their manners are so apish. <laughs> so he's really going after him and saying, look, you gave up your crown, you idiot. You gave it up. And Lear says, when you were wont to be so full of songs, Sirrah, he says, oh, why are you so happy? And the fool says, I have used it, Nuncle, ever since thou madest thy daughters thy mothers. For when thou gavest them the rod and puts down thine own breeches. That is, I think that is one of the funniest sections. Why did you get so many songs? Lear just says, why are you singing? And he said, I've used it ever since you made your daughters your mothers. <laughs> That's really, really funny. And then he said, for when you gave us them the rod and puts down your own breeches. So he says, basically, what you've done is you made your daughters your mother and you pulled down your pants to them so they can spank you. That's essentially what he's saying. And then he sings again. Then they for sudden joy did weep and I for sorrow sung that such a king should play Bo Peep and go the fools among. Pray thee, Nuncle, keep a schoolmaster that did teach thy fool to lie. I would fain learn to lie. So he sings this song, and it's, uh, it's really kind of like for kindergarten kids, and he's trying to teach them teach him the, the truth. And then he says, look, I won't lie to you. So the fool is saying right there, he says, I'm not a liar. I'm going to tell you the truth, whether it hurts or not. And Lear says, and you lie, Sirrah, we'll have you whipped. 
Now the four comes back at him and says, I marvel what kin thou and thy daughters are. They'll have me whipped for speaking true. Thou'll have me whipped for lying. And sometimes I am whipped for holding my peace. I had rather be any kind of thing than a fool. And yet I would not be thee, uncle. Thou hast paired thou wit of both sides and left nothing in the middle. Here comes one of the pairings. <laughs> and so, so guess who comes on the scene now? Goneril. And, you know, in the last program, we talked about Goneril and, and uh, how she really does not like her father. Lear says, how now, daughter? What makes that frontlet on? You are too much of late in the frown. <laughs> so he said, you know, here the daughter comes out. And, of course, I have four daughters, and if I upset them, I can tell immediately on their faces. Here, Lear sees the frown already. And notice, Goneril doesn't answer. The fool answers. He says, Thou wast a pretty fellow, when thou hadst no need to care for her frowning. Now thou art an O without a figure. I am better than thou art now. I am a fool. Thou art nothing. And then he goes on to Goneril. He says, Yes, forsooth, I will hold my tongue, for your face bids me. They you say nothing. Mum, mum, he that keeps, nor crust, nor crumb, where of all shall want some. So then he points at Lear, and he's looking at Goneril, and he says, That's a shield peace god. <laughs> and so, so he's saying right up front, he's going to hold his tongue, and especially around Goneril. But essentially right there, he puts her in her place. He's telling her right up front, you're so disrespectful to your father, it's not even funny. She really is one that believes that he's a shelled peace god. Uh, then Goneril, she she makes this long proclamation. She says, not only, sir, this your all-licensed fool, but other of your insolent retinue, do hourly carp and quarrel, breaking forth in rank and not to be endured riots. Sir, I had thought by making this well known unto you to have found a safe redress, but now grow fearful." By what yourself too late have spoken done, that you protect this course and put it on, by your allowance, which if you should, the fault would not escape censure, nor the redress sleep, which in the tender of a wholesome wheel might in their working do you that offense, which else were shame that then necessity will call discreet proceeding. And so what Goneril is saying, I told you I don't want these knights. I told you I don't want their doing what they're going to be doing. I don't want you around with them, is basically what she's saying. And notice what the fool does. I mean, he he's not going to miss this. He's not going to miss the line. He says, For you know, Nuncle, the hedge sparrow fed the cuckoo so long that it's had its head bit off by its young. So, out went the candle, and we were left darkling. So the fool says, Well, you're like a hedge sparrow, you know. He's trying to feed the baby, but eventually it had his head bit off. <laughs> so essentially, Lear, she's biting your head off. <laughs> you know? And then Lear looks at her and says, are you our daughter? He gets it now. He gets what's going on. He said, I would you make use of your good wisdom, whereof I know you are fraught, and put away these dispositions of late, transport you from what you rightly are. And then, oh man, the fool, the fool really likes this one. May not an ass know when the cart draws the horse. Whoop, jug, I love thee. <laughs> so he said, Lear, do you realize what's going on here? Do you realize what she's doing? Then uh, Lear responds by saying, 
Does any here know me? This is not Lear. Does Lear walk thus, speak thus? Where are his eyes? Either his notion weakens, his discernings are lethargized. Ha, walking tis not so. Who is it that can tell me who I am? And the fool says, Lear's shadow. Lear, Lear goes on to say, I would learn that, for by the marks of a sovereignty, knowledge and reason, I should be false persuaded. I had daughters. And the fool says, Which they will make an obedient father. So that's really funny. Yeah, he said, yeah, you had daughters, but now they're going to make you obedient. And uh, Lear says, your name for a gentlewoman? In some ways, Lear is digging back at her. Okay, what's your name? And then Goneril says, this admiration, sir, is much owe the savor. Of other your new pranks, I do beseech you to understand my purposes aright. As you are old and reverend should be wise, here do you keep a hundred knights and squires, men so disordered, so deboshed and bold, that this our court infected with their manners, shows like a riotous inn. Epicurism and lust makes it more like a tavern or a brothel than a graced palace. The shame itself does speak for instantly remedy. Be then desired by her that else will take the thing she begs. A little to disquantity your train, and the remainders that shall still depend to be such men as may besort your age, which know themselves and you. So essentially what Goneril is telling him, look, you're old. You're really old. You don't think you're old, and you're running around the country with these young men. <laughs> and he said, they're all debauched. You know, they're all, uh, you know, th th they love drinking. They love all this. And do you realize, at your age, you shouldn't be doing things like this. So that's what she's saying. He, she says, look, these men, you know, aren't really in your age group. Why don't you find some men that are your age? And then hopefully they can go live with the, you know, the old guys. <laughs> they can hang around there. Then Lear, he's, he's not happy. He's not happy. He says, darkness and devils, saddle my horses, call my train together. Degenerate bastard, I'll not trouble thee. Yet I have left a daughter. So Lear gets pretty intense there. We really have to start to feel for him. Notice Goneril goes on to say, you strike my people, and your disordered rabble make servants of their betters. Now, Albany comes in. The thing is, this is uh, Goneril's husband. He is uh, not necessarily really happy with the piece of land they got, and he's actually going to start a civil war with his brother-in-law. But notice Lear says to him, Woe that too late repents. Oh, sir, you are come. It is your will. Speak, sir. Prepare my horses in gratitude, thou marble-hearted fiend, more hideous when thou showest thee in a child than the sea monster. And then Albany just has an understanding. He says, Pray, sir, be patient. And notice Lear says, Detested kite, thou liest. My train are men of choice and rarest parts. So now he's not only talking to Albany, he's talking to Goneril as well. And he's calling her a detested kite. And a kite is a bird of prey. And so he's calling her a bird of prey. Of course, he's expecting Albany to side with him. He says um, that all particulars of duty know and in the most exact regard support the worships of their name. 
O most small fault, how ugly didst thou in Cordelia show, which, like an engine, wrenched my frame of nature from the fixed place, drew from my heart all love, and added to the gall. O leer, 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 beat at this gate that fly thy folly in. So Lear begins to realize, I made a big mistake with Cordelia. Because Albany is obviously going to support Goneril. And notice that Lear starts beating his head. He says, and I dare judgment out, go, go, my people. Now Albany comes back and he says, my lord, I am guiltless as I am ignorant of what has moved you. He wasn't in there. I mean, he wasn't on the scene when Goneril was talking to him. And Lear says, It may be so, my lord. Here, nature, here, dear goddess, here. Suspend thy purpose if thou didst intend to make this creature fruitful. Into her womb convey sterility. So this is this is really a, a pretty uh, wicked scene, or it's, a, it's kind of a, it's a hard scene to see because essentially what you have is Lear is now right next to Goneril. And uh, she's pretty she's pretty scary herself. But he's calling on the gods and the goddesses to make his daughter unfruitful. In other words, she can't get pregnant. And uh, he said, Into her womb convey sterility. Dry up in her the organs of increase. And from her derogate body never spring a babe to honor her. And so you can see that Lear says, okay, you guys are mistreating me. I'm going to pray now that you experience the exact same thing when you're older. So in other words, you know, Goneril, you don't deserve children, period. You know, that's, that's what he's saying to her. And he says, if she must team, create her child of spleen, that it may live and be a thwart this nature torment to her. <laughs> so, so, okay, now goddess, listen, if, if you still think she should have a kid, still think you should have a child, make sure it's just the nastiest one to her. That's the way he feels. He said, I'm getting all this. I'm taking all this from, from my daughters. He says, let it stamp wrinkles in her brow of youth. With cadent tears, fret channels in her cheeks, turn all her mother's pains and benefits to laughter and contempt, that she may feel how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child away away so he's pretty sad at that point but he's also as uh lear does get he's really angry i mean he's not just angry he's ready to have a mortal battle with her now albany he's albany's kind of a nice guy but he's kind of just not with it either and so he says now gods that we adore whereof comes this and Goneril says, never afflict yourself to know more of it, but let his disposition have the scope as dotage gives it. So Lear comes back into the scene. What? Fifty of my followers at a clap within a fortnight? Albany says, what's the matter, sir? He says, I tell thee. And he looks to Goneril. Life and death, I am ashamed that thou hast power to shake my manhood thus that these hot tears which break from me perforce should make thee worth them, blast and fogs upon thee. The untended woundings of a father's curse pierce every sense about thee. Old fond eyes, beweep this cause again, I'll pluck you out, and to cast you with the waters that you lose, to temper clay. Yea, it's come to this, 
Let it be so. I have another daughter who I am sure is kind and comfortable. And when she shall hear this of thee, with her nails shall flay thy wolvish visage. Thou shalt find that I resume the shape which thou dost think I have cast off forever. So Lear exits. He's with Kent and is with the attendants. And notice Goneril says, do you mark that? I cannot be so partial, Goneril, to the great love I bear you. Pray you content what Oswald whole. And then he's looking to the fool. And he says, you, sir, no more knave than fool after your master. And notice what the fool says. Uncle Lear, Uncle Lear, tarry and take the fool with thee. A fox, when one has caught her, and such a daughter, should be sure to the slaughter, if my cap would buy a halter, so the fool follows after. That's the first section where you have the fool really involved. Now he'll come back, like I said, in Act 3. But essentially, he's telling Goneril off. He's telling her what Lear uh, maybe didn't say. And he says, you're a fox. And he says, what are you going to do if one catches you? And he said, and you're such a daughter, sure to the slaughter. And so he's saying, look, it's like you just murdered your father. And he said, if my cap would buy a halter, so the fool follows after. He's saying, look, I'm going to support King Lear. I'm going to be loyal to King Lear. And he's telling Goneril, you're not loyal to your father. You're not willing to help him. And he said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to help him. And then notice Goneril, she gets uh, really, really kind of angry about all of it. She says, this man hath had good counsel a hundred nights. Tis politic and safe to let him keep at point a hundred nights, yet that on every dream, each buzz, each fancy, each complaint dislike, he may guard his dotage with their powers and hold our lives in mercy. Oswald, I say. So, so you see what she's saying now? You see what she's really saying? She said, you know, this could get really dangerous. We're being honest. We don't like him. But if he has a hundred nights, uh, and she looks at her husband and says, you know, he could turn those hundred nights on us. And uh, that may not be good for us. And so notice Albany, who does have a little bit of sense. He says, well, you may fear too far. He says to his wife, you know, you might be taking this too far. And then Goneril says, safer than trust too far, let me still take away the harms I fear. Not fear still to be taken. I know his heart. What he has uttered, I have writ my sister. If she sustain him and his hundred nights, when I have showed the unfitness. So enters Oswald. She says, how now, Oswald? What have you writ that letter to my sister? I, madam. And Goneril says, take you some company and wait a horse. Inform her full of my particular fear. And thereto add such reasons of your own as may compact it more. Get you gone and hasten your return. No, no, my lord, this milky gentleness and course of yours, though I condemn not, yet under pardon, you are much more attached for want of wisdom than praised for harmful mildness. So Goneril really doesn't even like her husband. That's what's going on. She says, really, I'll say it in my own words, she calls it milky gentleness. 
She is basically saying, in modern terms, you're lily-livered. Why don't you stand up to my father? Why are you being so nice to him? And then uh, there's already, I mean, if some of you out there have read the whole play, you know that she's already has another friend. We'll get into that as we get through it. But notice, Albany says to her, How far your eyes may pierce, I cannot tell. Striving no better off, we mar what's well. And Goneril says, nay then. And Albany says, well, well, the event. And so then they uh, exit the scene. So it is, like I said, it is really, really very interesting. There's a little bit of time left. Maybe uh, let's just go back briefly, and maybe we could start Kent a little bit today. I think it's really kind of interesting. We have almost uh, 15 minutes left. Maybe you could call this the introduction to to next week's or the next couple of weeks of that podcast that will feature Kent. But let's go back to page 23 now, and we'll go to uh, Act 1, Scene 4. This is probably one of the longest acts in the play. Remember, there's, there's always in every Shakespeare play, there's five acts, and that's it. But there can be a number of scenes. Act 1 has quite a number of scenes. So essentially what, what happens here in Act 1, Scene 4, we're going to be around line 1 of Scene 4. So this is the very beginning. And re- remember that Kent was a nobleman, and he was very loyal to to Lear. And uh, if you remember all the way back to the beginning of the play, that he was really frustrated with Lear that he would banish Cordelia. And he really stood up for Cordelia. And uh, he said, Lear, this is not right. I mean, she loves you. You know she's loved you. The thing is, Cordelia just would not get involved in his game. It also was apparent that Cordelia was always his favorite, and he knew that she was his favorite. And, of course, that really upset the other two daughters. But here, Kent is banished, and he was banished on the threat of death. You know, if, if he wasn't gone in so many hours, he was going to be executed. So essentially what you have now is Kent, who is really like the fool in the sense that he's very loyal to to Lear. And he realizes that Lear is uh, old, older in his thinking, and that uh, he did not think Lear, uh, as we've been saying, did not approach all this right. So he still wants to go back, even on the fear of death or the pain of maybe getting executed, he wants to go back and help the king. So this in line one, he says, If but as well I other accents borrow, that can my speech diffuse, my good intent may carry through itself to that full issue for which I raised my likeness. So essentially, Kent does is he, he gets another accent, and I suspect he probably took on a Scottish accent instead of the English accent. And uh, he's uh, changed his looks, he's cut his hair, uh, shaved off his beard, you know, he's wearing different clothes, and he goes back, and, and he appears before Lear, and he wants to serve him. He says, Now, banished Kent, if you can serve where thou dost stand condemned, so may it come thy master whom thou lovest shall find thee full of labors. So there he says, Look, I love the king. I want to serve the king. And then here uh, Lear enters. There's horns. There's attendants. 
And then Lear says, let me not stay at Jot for dinner. Go get it ready. Lear is really, he's really kind of arrogant. He really doesn't sense what's really going on. Here he's coming into Goneril's house, and he wants dinner as soon as he's there. Like, why isn't it ready? And uh, he says, how now? What art thou? And Kent shows uh, himself before him. And Kent says, a man, sir. So what, what you have to see when he says that, I mean, remember, he's a nobleman. He doesn't want to be, you know, called a nobleman now. He's actually pretending that he's just a, a regular man. He's like a peasant. He doesn't do what Lear does. He still wants to be called king, but, but Kent doesn't want to be called a nobleman. So he just says, I'm a man, sir. And he says, what does thou profess? What would thou with us? And what Kent says, I do profess to be no less than I seem, to serve him truly that will put me in trust, to love him that is honest, to converse with him that is wise and says little to fear judgment, to fight when I cannot choose, and to eat no fish. <laughs> One thing when it says there to eat no fish, and I think I mentioned this before, uh, it means that he's not going to be Catholic. Here we are in the season of Lent, and there's a lot of fish being eaten <laughs> by the Catholics. And I, the reason I know that is I was one at one time. But Lear says, what art thou? And Kent says, a very honest-hearted fellow and as poor as the king. Now, I think what I, I want you to see, and I'm probably getting ahead of next podcast, but Kent and the fool are a lot alike. They're both wise, and they are, they're kind of sarcastic, and they're kind of humorous, and uh, they get away with it. And he says, I'm as poor as the king. And Lear says, if you be as poor for a subject uh, as he's for a king, thou art poor enough. What wouldst thou? And Kent says, service. Who would you serve? Or you, is basically what he says. Do you know me, fellow? No, sir, but you have that in your countenance, which I would fain call master. So if you go back, remember, we just we just talked about Oswald. He asked Oswald, well, you know who I am? He says, yeah, you're lady, your lady's father. So here he asked Kent the same thing. Who am I? <laughs> you know, and he says, I don't know. He says, uh, do you know me, fellow? He says, no, sir. Here Lear is thinking, well, does he know him? King? He says, no, sir, but you have that in your countenance, which I would fain call master. What's that? He said, authority. Kent admits right away, he says, I see on your face authority. I see in your personality authority. And Lear says, what services can you do? He says, I can keep honest counsel, ride, run, mar a curious tale in telling it. So he's actually saying, eh, I'm not a very good storyteller, but I can still try it. He says, I can deliver a plain message bluntly. That which ordinary men are fit for, I am qualified in. And the best of me is diligence. How old are you? So Lear's, it's like, this is like all of a sudden, you know, he's starving to death. He wants dinner, but now he's having, he's uh, analyzing him for a job. So he's like in a job interview. And <laughs> he says, how old are you? And this is a funny answer. It's not so young, sir, to love a woman for singing and not so old to dote on her for anything. <laughs> he says, I have years on my back, 48. So here... Uh, Kent is really not that old. He's 48. You know, that's not an old guy yet. Lear says, follow me. Thou shalt serve me. If I like thee nowhere after dinner, I will not part from you yet. Now, we've read that already. 
says, dinner, ho, dinner, where's my knave, my fool, go and call me fool hither. So, so there, there we have Kent being introduced, and uh, or not being introduced, we have the new Kent introduced. I think what I might do is just go ahead and end just a little bit early today, just about five minutes, and then we'll be getting back to Kent on the next podcast. So that's all the time I have for today's program. On our next program, I will really get into discussing Kent and uh, we'll also move into Act 2 of William Shakespeare's King Lear. And again, I don't want to uh, let you believe that we're at the end of the fool because the fool does come back uh, in the storm and uh, it's really kind of an interesting thing. But then by... I think it's Act 3, Scene 6. He just drops out of the play. So you can buy good used copies of Shakespeare's plays at abbooks.com. You may also, uh, you can find new copies of the plays at Amazon. But even Amazon also has some good used copies too. Uh, You can, I think, probably find copies in your local bookstore. Now you may have a little trouble finding the the Pelican. But uh, if you can, you can get a good copy of King Lear anyway. Now, of course, then you can also check your local library. Now, please write me any comments you may have to comments at kpcg.fm. You can also comment at my Twitter page. Uh, and it's called Shakespeare's Royal Education. And thanks for joining me. And remember, next time we will advance our royal education. You've been listening to Shakespeare's Royal Education on Trumpet Radio. KPCG, streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.